On this episode of This Week in Linux, we discuss the new code of conduct in the Linux kernel. Purism announces a new product offering with the Librem key. We'll also check out some distro releases from Solus, Quirky, and Esquelus Linux. Then we'll cover some of the latest beta releases from Elementary OS and Fedora. Later in the show, we'll cover some great Linux gaming sales going on this week. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. Up first in the show this week is the topic that everybody would expect me to cover, and that is the code of conduct topic for the Linux kernel. The code of conduct has replaced the previous code of conflict kernel. Wait, code of conflict document for the kernel. That, that makes more sense. And this is a new way to address the community's uh, ex interaction with each other uh, because there has been a, you know, admittedly, there absolutely is sort of a toxic environment in the, uh, the Linux kernel for, the, for a long time. And it, it also has been pretty much uh, Linux has been involved in that toxicity. Uh, there's many examples where you could say where, you know, it's, it's one thing to say that, you know, you're being abrasive about someone's code and stuff like that, saying your code is terrible, we're not going to accept it, things like that. And, then that's, and in my opinion, that's perfectly reasonable when you're going to be uh, abrasive or rude even. If it's, it's fine if you're focused just on the project and just on the code. It's not so good when you go to personal attacks and abusive uh, language. And there have been those in the past from Linus and others in the kernel community. So it makes sense that they want to address that. And they did institute something in the in like March of 2015 where it was the code of conflict which the intent was kind of to um, address that but they really didn't enforce it so there was not it didn't really do anything. This is more of a revamp so that it could be addressed. And now I would say that in general, code of conducts are not necessarily a negative thing. They could be. They could be used in a negative way if they were like written ambiguously and things like that. But in general, like just the idea of a code of conduct could be beneficial to a community because it gives you people like you know an uh, a direct documentation to check out to see what is and is not allowed kind of thing. So I'm not saying that code of conducts themselves are necessarily bad. But there are arguments that some people have said that this particular code of conduct has some negative light on it in the sense of, like, it, that there has been, it has been used in the past to kind of uh, force people out of other projects and stuff like that. So I'm not really sure, you know, that there are, there are some negatives and there are some positives. I think overall code of conduct is good. Uh, I don't know. I, there are some pieces of this particular code of conduct I don't really like because in certain sections there are, it's very specific, and I do like the idea of having specific terms that people could reference, but there's also some amb ambigu ambiguous language inside of this code of conduct that kind of makes it open-ended for both negative and a positive usage, so it could be potentially bad, so hopefully they'll maybe revamp it again to kind of remove the ambiguous nature of it, and that, that would be fine with me. I think if they were just to remove the ambiguous language, it would be a perfectly acceptable um, uh, intent for like just to have a code of conduct like that. So overall, they could do that, or they could check out other ones. Like um, some people might not know, but there are other projects that also have codes of conduct, such as uh, the Gen Two project has one, uh, KDE has one, many others. So it's not like 
you know, a code of conduct themselves are, you know, detrimental to projects. It's just ambiguous language can kind of imply some negatives. So we'll see what really what happens in the future because we don't really know. Uh, I would I would suspect that there is very little likelihood that anything would be you know forced out without the you know the main people you know taking the reins of it. So for example, um, if you think about it, the Linux kernel is the most important piece of software ever created. And I and I, I I don't say that lightly. I, I mean, I'm, some people would say, you know, they would exaggerate. You know, this is the best. This is important, or things like that. I would say that the Linux kernel is the most important thing that is as piece of software in general that has ever been made because of its massive usage throughout just the world. You know, so for example, eighty um, percent of the internet is running Linux. Um, all Android phones are powered by Linux. Uh, all, like vast majority of Internet of Things are powered by Linux in some way. Um, you know, and, uh, uh, Kindle devices are Linux. The uh, uh, pretty much all top the fi top five hundred supercomputers. Actually, no, it is all of them. So all of the top five hundred supercomputers on the in the world are running Linux. So it is a very important uh, piece of software. So. I can understand why you'd be very cautious about what goes in and goes and get, gets into this into the kernel and things like that. So I understand there's why there's some some kind of pushback on this situation, but I do think that we should kind of like just see what happens because I'm pretty. I would be shocked if the the project would were allow any kind of manipulation of itself because it's there's been people trying to manipulate it for years and they've refused and and I would be absolutely shocked if this would be anything other than just you know just a, a, a base point of here's how we want people to be treated you know things like that so ultimately I think this is kind this is not going to be a big deal but you know we'll we'll never know until you know later and we'll see I guess but there was an interesting thing that someone said in the community was that they said that their biggest problem they had with this particular code of conduct is that it, the language used demands the member of the community to act a certain way, but it and it holds them to some good sounding standards. But the trouble is that it's overreaching. So the code of conduct should be a document that describes how you get how you could get kicked out, rather than a criteria for being allowed to stay. And he's saying that it's against the openness of it. And I think that that's a good point that we could leave it on there. So if you want to, if you want to have a conversation in the uh, the comments below, or in the Telegram group or Discord or anything like that, you know, uh, you'll find a link to all of that in the show notes. Up next in the show is Purism has announced the Librem key, and Librem key is a USB device that allows you to do security implementations, kind of like the YubiKey or the Nitro key. Uh, in fact, the YubiKey what? No. In fact, the Librem key is in a partnership with the Nitro key. So the company Nitro key creates this, and Purism makes modifications to it, and you know adds their brand to it, and things like that. So they're they're working together to make this particular key. It's a fifty nine dollar device, and basically what happens is there's a uh, a USB, not a USB, an LED light on the device, so that when you plug it in, it'll blink green, which means that you're fine and there's no issues. And if it blinks red, it implies that there's a signal tampering of some kind. So, or signaling a tampering of some kind. So this has a lot of features. For example, it has the ability to store GPG keys. 
use those GPG keys over SSH, uh, one-time passwords, so with support for two-factor authentication, all kinds of things like that. They also have plans to add features for un unlocking disk encryption, so that when you insert the key, it will unlock it at the boot time. Uh, also having the ability to lock the screen when you remove the Librem key, and other things as well as like logging into your system automatically using this key. So you could set a passphrase to your computer or a login password for your computer, and then the key would institute that. Um, you know, things like that. So that's a, that's a cool concept, and uh, there are other options. So if you want to check out Nitro Key is also existing, and YubiKey and things like that. So in, based on my research for this particular announcement, I found some community members who are familiar with this particular type of topic, and they said that they're glad to see that it supports ECC, but there's no mention of the Curve 25519 uh, functionality, so that that's, that's why they're going to keep using their YubiKey. So that's an interesting point, because the YubiKey announced probably, well not recently, but a few months ago, probably like six, seven months ago or something like that, that they were going to close source their product and they used to be like the only option because uh, it was open source it was solid product all kinds of things so it, they kind of created their own market by they created they created their own comp competitors or give them competitors actually like a a, a reason to and you know, look at them cuz when they when YubiKey was open source there was really no reason not to just use a YubiKey now there kind of is so that was a weird decision on their part but anyway the 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 Libra key Librem key also people were saying well, what is isn't this just a Nitro key why would we care so the difference is I'm not sure if the Nitro key will eventually have this as well but currently the Librem key has integration with the Heads BIOS which makes it possible so that if someone has tampered with the laptop for example you would be able to see at the BIOS level when you boot the machine if it has been tampered or not. So that's a, a very interesting thing that, you know, the Nitro key probably should add that too. But anyway, if you're interested in checking out the Librem key, you can find a link to that in the show notes. Up next in the show is Quirky 8.7.1. This is the first release in the Beaver series, where the Quirky Beaver, which is based on the Bionic Beaver 1804 of Ubuntu, or specifically 18.04.1 of Ubuntu, and it is an x86-64, so it's a 64-bit architecture. And if you haven't heard of Quirky before, Quirky is essentially a fork from Puppy Linux. And also, the creator of Puppy Linux is the same guy who makes Quirky. So Barry Collar, I think it's Collar, he's the guy who created um, Puppy in the first place and decided to fork it because he had some different opinions of the, what the community wanted to do versus what he was going to do. So he created Quirky instead. And Quirky is an interesting system because it has a lot of, um, you know, it's more up-to-date typically than Puppy because Puppy is a very specific workflow. And Quirky even started without being, uh, being like, runnable in RAM. It is now, but in the beginning it really wasn't for that, for that purpose. So uh, it's a really interesting distro distribution, and it has uh, updated all the packages for their, you know, their, their core baseline of Ubuntu 18.04. And but also they've they've done some extra stuff where they've updated the kernel so the kernel is now 4.18.9 so it's the latest version of the kernel sitting on top of 18.04 with the approach to um, in, infrastructure that is very similar to Puppy so if you'd like to check it out it's a very interesting distro and might be 
worth checking out for some. It's not going to be like uh, not for everyone because it has its own particular way of, of functioning. Just in a very similar way that Puppy Puppy has its own particular way of functioning. But if you would like to check it out, you can find a link in the show notes. I'm going to probably say this wrong, and I apologize up front. But Esculus, 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 Linux. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, Esculus Linux 6.1 was released recently, and Esculus is a educational purposes with a Spanish uh, focus. The highlight of this release is that they've actually um, released an available an English language language ISO for the non-Spanish speakers. So that's pretty cool. And if you haven't heard of this, it's it's actually interesting because I haven't really I haven't paid attention to this one in a, in a while, but it's based on Bodhi Linux, and it's also based on the 1804 version of Bodhi, and it's running the latest kernel, well, almost latest kernel with 4.18.8. Uh, what's really interesting is this particular project has been around for 20 years, and they're celebrating their 20th anniversary with this latest release. That is really cool. And as someone saying in the chat room for the live stream, they're letting me know that Escula, I don't know if I'm saying that even right, but they're saying that, that is Spanish for school, which makes sense why it's for educational purposes. So thanks for that. I appreciate the uh, clarifications and stuff. But yeah, this is a, a really interesting distribution because the fact that it's you know been around for so long and um, it's you know it could be... You know, and the fact that they're doing an English language allows me to use it, you know, more efficiently because I did check it out many years ago. I didn't realize how, how long it's been around but, but at the time, but I did check it out and was completely lost because while I can occasionally get some Spanish right, it's very little. So anyway, I'm looking forward to trying it out. And if you, if you do try it out, uh, you can ch check it, uh, check the link in the show notes, and also let me know what you think in the comments below or in Telegram or Discord and things like that. Uh, so in the chat room, someone has let me know that I de definitely did not say it correctly. All right, cool. <laughs> Maybe next time. I'll try again. <laughs> Up next in the show is the Elementary OS Juno Beta 2. They released that recently, and this is a the beta version so if you haven't uh if you haven't checked it out in a while this might not be best for you because the juno beta is meant for developers and uh bug testers and things like that so you might want to stick with loki or um if you are willing to deal with bugs then you know recognize that they are bugs they would probably appreciate any kind of bug reports and things like that so feel free to uh do that if you would like to uh, but this latest version of Juno is going to be based on the 1804 Ubuntu and using the kernel 4.15. The 1804 uh, LTS base, the ele elementary usually bases their their software on the LTS. Well, not usually, always. but So every release they make is going to be based on an LTS of the, pre the, the most recent LTS. So Loki was based on 1604, and Juno will be based on 1804. So... They've got a lot of interesting modifications for this version of Elementary. Uh, I'll just take a, talk about a couple of them, like the App Center is being uh, like heavily modified and stuff like that. They've added a new application for code editing called Code, uh, I guess Elementary Code, if, if, to be if you wanted to search for it. Uh, but anyway, it has a, it's going to have a, a Git integration into it, which is really cool because not all not a lot of text editors or code editors have that built in. 
and they usually have like a plug-in that you'd have to do. So it's pretty interesting that they did that. Uh, and a lot of other things are like they've they've modified like some folder icons so that they're now um, more um, you know cohesive with their design. They used to have like different shades of blue, and now they're like making it more like uh, cohesive experience. So that's pretty interesting. But overall, there's uh, things that you might want to check out, but just keep it in mind that it is a beta, and this is you know definitely not a review or anything. So you know just uh, there you go. Keep that in mind. Another thing that they did, which is really cool recently, is that they were um, they did a, an AMA on Reddit. So you could find out a lot of stuff about the latest release as well as the project themselves. If you want to check out the, the questions and the, the thread on Reddit, you'll, have a, you'll find a link to that in the show notes. But it's really interesting because one of the questions that were asked was um, they had a couple things I want to talk about. One of them was uh, what are some features that you're working on that you, will, you think will really improve the OS as a whole? And they said as far as features for Juno, some big ones are the location services agents. Uh, the improvements for the App Center uh, features in Granite. Uh, Granite is their uh, toolkit for making applications. And all these different things that they do for the design, the style sheets and icons and stuff like that. But then there was another interesting question that I was surprised to see it, but it was really cool because the, a lot of the developers and people in the project m responded to it. And that question is, how do you avoid burnout? It feels like all of your team members are always active and pushing stuff, which is a really interesting question. And they, a lot of the answers were, you know, how they handled it were like pretty interesting because in this space it feels, you know, this kind of a, a job or, um, you know, or just a project just being in this kind of an environment could be pretty uh, stressful. So finding ways to deal with that is very important. So if you want to check out what they said, they all have different opinion uh, how they did it, and some of them were like instead of doing like here's the amount of times I work, they were doing it based on how many. Uh, commits they were doing and stuff like that. So it's pretty interesting. So if you want to check those out, I have a link to that as well. And there's some other questions regarding like flats and snap back and snap pack, snap flat packs improvement and snaps. <laughs> anyway, uh, they also had a question. It was pretty interesting why they were, were allowing proprietary software included in the store and things like that. So if you want to check it out, you can find a link to that in the show notes as well. If you want to find out more, about elementary, you can check out the episode 62 of Destination Linux, where we interviewed uh, Daniel Foray from elementary. So you'll find a link to that in the show notes as well. Up next is the ISO release for Solus. Solus version 3.9999. That's fun. Uh, is released a, it's basically a beta of a, of a next, for the next full release. But um, so keep in mind, this is a beta also. But it enables support for a variety of new hardware released since the previous version of the like the, the original version of 3.0, and it introduces an updated set of default applications and theming and all kinds of stuff. And they've updated the kernel to 4.18.5. They've uh, enabled the support for latest CPUs thanks to this kernel with AMD and Intel, uh, and also they've supported uh, added support for high core the, the high core count of CPUs. Like, for example, the Threat Ripper and things like that. Uh, <laughs> there's also a, a big refresh for the repository URLs because they did the domain switch from their previous domain to the new getsol.us. I think that's what it is. Yeah, getsol.us. So if you want to check it out, there's going to be a link to this 
version of the this beta version of the new solos for 3.9999 in the show notes. So I was clarified something in the chat room. So I wanted to address this in the show. So just to clarify this as well, that technically I'm wrong about it being a beta. The 3.9999 sort of implies that it's a beta, but because Solus is a rolling distribution, the refresh ISO is mainly just an updated ISO for the previous version in a similar way that other Arch, or like basically like Arch distributions, not other, but distributions for Arch will have ISO refreshes uh, every once in a while to you know basically be the same version, but also have newer up-to-date versions specifically in the ISO. So yeah, uh, thanks for correcting me in the chat room and uh, hopefully that solves any kind of confusion for the this episode. Up next in the show is Fedora 29 beta is coming soon. And now this one, unlike the previous Solus, this one actually is a beta. So Fedora 29 is coming out actually the day after this episode airs on Tuesday the 25th. So this one has a lot of uh, improvements to the previous versions of 28, including some more uh, updates to the modularity features and stuff like that, an updated version of Xorg, and many things. So if you're interested in checking out Fedora, the the next beta will be coming out this coming Tuesday, or technically when this releases tomorrow. So anyway. Also, if you'd like to, you can check out an interview that we had with the lead project leader of Fedora, uh, Matthew Miller. We did that on episode 87 of Destination Linux, so you'll find a link to that episode in the show notes below as well. And also another AMA was done this week with the Krita team, the, the, the software. If you haven't heard of Krita, it's a drawing and painting software so that you can make digital art, things like that. And they had a really interesting AMA on their subreddit, on the r slash Krita subreddit, so it might not be got it didn't get as much attention as the r slash Linux subreddit for AMAs, but this was definitely something you should check out if you're interested. They had a lot of cool questions, and one of the questions I just it was the answer like the question was cool and because it was really nice and polite, and the answer was just shows how great the people in the project are because the question was what drawing tablet do you guys don't have that you think it would help create a development if you were to have it so that the person who's asking could purchase it and send it to them. And their response was, well, uh, for Linux, there's the Digimend, or Digimend project. Then they said that does need support. If you have, um, if you have the wherewithal to get different types of hardware, uh, I, would, I would say share it with them and send it to Nikolai uh, for, to, for testing. And because for projects like ours, we really just need the driver and OS combination to provide that standard that we can code against. So their suggestion is essentially, thanks for the offer of the hardware. Instead, send it to these other people because they would have more benefit than we would. So that's a fantastic response. So like, I just wanted to point that out. So there's also some other questions that you can check out if you wanted to, like their favorite features for upcoming projects and things like that. So you can find a link to, a link to that in the show notes as well as a link to the Patreon for Nikolai and the Digimon project. Up next in the show is some interesting news from Canonical about Ubuntu desktop images available for Microsoft's Hyper-V gallery. Now, if you're, if you're not aware, Hyper-V is a virtualization system that Microsoft provides for Windows. 
And what's the, the reason why this is cool, and it might seem like, why are you talking about Microsoft? Who cares? I, I, that, fair enough. I agree with that. But for the most part, anyway. But for this is really cool because one of the things about, um, about this, the new things that they're doing with Linux and Windows is the, the Windows subsystem for Linux, for example. It is kind of like giving confusion to people where they will accidentally, you know, when they hear about, I want to try Linux, and they just install the subsystem and they just see the terminal. And that's all they ever experience. Like it has that part of a bit of a problem. Whereas this would make it possible for people to use like a full Ubuntu desktop inside of Hyper-V, which has like hardware acceleration and stuff like that. So it, it gives potential for them to actually try like a legitimate experience with Ubuntu without having to install Ubuntu separately or dual boot or things like that. So it's potential to benefit people who are wanting to try out Linux for the first time and not, you know, wanting to reinstall it. So I kind of like the way that they're doing it uh, because they're making it more accessible to people. I mean, obviously I would completely get rid of windows entirely because it's windows, but uh, in the cases of people who haven't really tried Linux before, I think this is a good opportunity to make it, you know, more uh, accessible to them. So I like that. And if you'd like to check out the show notes for this particular blog post, I'll have a link the show notes for this the link for this blog post in the show notes that's what i was trying to say up next on the show is a release for mirror 1.0 now a lot of people have still thought that the that the mirror project has been dead because of the transition away from unity but actually and a bunch of touch but mirror has been you know constantly being developed since then it's just changing what its purpose is so one of the reasons, one of the purposes for Mir is for targeting uh, IoT devices or Internet of Things devices, and making it possible to make like a next generation of IoT through Mir. And also, they're working on a Wayland support uh, compositing project as well with Mir. So this is really cool that they're like they're you know mixing it up and what it's going to be so i actually think this would be a good thing because it makes it possible for iot devices to potentially maybe actually get updates right because they typically never do it would be really great if they did in this way it makes it possible for them to just do pseudo apt update or upgrade and get actual new software and security patches and stuff. That'd be great if they would just make that possible. So this is uh, potentially making that possible because they have a new kiosk mode system where they have mirror-kiosk, which is essentially runs up a kiosk on Ubuntu Core, which showcases a lot of cute applications that give you examples of what you could do with a kiosk utilizing mirror. So that's pretty cool. And they've also made it where it's possible to use Wayland directly through um, uh, the mirror built-in with GTK Qt5 and SDL support uh, implementations, so that's pretty cool. And they've also made it possible to use experimental X X11 support via um, X Wayland through the mirror uh, the mirror kiosk mode and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool that this like 1.0 of mirror is making a lot of uh, changes and a lot of uh, potential to be a solution for. Quite a few things, actually, the Internet of Things and also as a compositor for Wayland. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with this. And if you'd like to check out the blog post for the this particular release, you can find a link in the show notes. Hey, I said that one properly this time. I like it. 
Up next in the show is the basically the stable release. Not it's it's in the path to becoming a stable release. It hasn't officially been released the last time I checked, but Chrome OS 69 is getting ready to go stable with Crostini, which is pretty interesting because Crostini is the uh, the implementation of able to use Linux applications in Chrome OS so that they will be able to use, at this point, they'll be able to use Android apps and Linux apps on top of Chrome OS. So it's pretty interesting uh, if you already have a Chromebook and a fairly decently powerful Chromebook. You, you, like the low-end ones won't work. But, and also there's a, there's a list of ones that won't work because they don't have particular uh, enablement stuff in their motherboard. Um, so if you if you do have a Chromebook and you like to check it out, you might want to check out the device list of like I'll have a link to that in the show notes that expresses like which one works with it and which ones don't. So and I, I use the code name, so you'll have to look up the code anyway. Yeah. So anyway, this is pretty cool because um, they, it does make it more accessible for some people who already have Chromebooks to get used to using Linux applications and therefore maybe convince them to use actual Linux because this is kind of Linux, like technically, but not really. Uh, anyway, so maybe it would guide them to more likely to use actual Linux. So that'd be kind of cool if it happens, who knows. But it is interesting, and I have tried, um, I actually tried Caden Live on a Chromebook before uh, during a talk I was giving at Southeast Linux Fest, and that was interesting because when I needed to demonstrate some features of how to use Kden Live. I realized that the Chromebook doesn't have these particular keys on the keyboard, and that was uh, that was an adventure. Anyway, if you'd like to check out uh, Chrome OS or the release notes for Chrome OS, you can find a link to that in the show notes as well as the supported devices list. Up next in the show is Linux Gaming, and this is. A really big sale right now, so if you want to check it out, that's why I included it. It is the bun the Bundle Blast from fun uh, Fanatical, and Fanatical is used to be called Bundle Stars, but now that they changed their name, so Fanatical's Bundle Blast currently has 28 bundles available. Now, not all 28 include Linux games. Actually, uh, 12 of these bundles include native Linux games, but because of Steam Play, it might be possible to get you know, uh, some of these other games working in Linux as well. And if you do, be sure to leave a comment in the sh uh, the uh, website, the video to let me know, as well as maybe potentially submit it to the Steam Play community website if you'd like to test it or not. But at the same time, you could also just go to the, com the community site and see if there are, you know, tests are ready for the particular game that you wanted to play from these bundles. And I'll have a link to both this particular bundle set as well as the Steam Play community website for the checking if you'd like to uh, in the show notes below. And also to keep let you know that the link for this particular bundle is a affiliate link. So if you purchase something inside of this, you buy one of these bundles or um, you know something from Fanatical with that link, it will give a credit to the Tux Digital channel. So it'll help benefit the show as well as um, get you some really cool games. Because there are a lot, a lot of a lot of cool games in this, you know. Because there's so many bundles, you're bound to find something you want to play. So anyway, uh, Fanatical's massive bundle blast sale. Yeah, you find a link to that in the show notes. Up next in the show is another bundle from Humble Bundle. It's the Game Development Book Bundle, and this is actually pretty cool because there's a lot of books in this that might be interesting to some people, especially if they want to do Linux game development. Because there's things like uh, beginners C++ game programming, 
a game, a practical game AI programming book. Uh, and even there's actually a couple things for the Unity engine as well as the Unreal engine and the Godot engines. So if you'd like to, because those all those support Linux. So if you'd like to check those out, those are available. And as well as the Vulcan Cookbook, which is kind of fun to say as well, Vulcan Cookbook. Anyway, if you'd like to check that out, there's a link to the Humble Game Dev Bundle. Uh, those those books are going to be a... Oh, actually, to be clear, that's also an affiliate link. So if you do um, decide to purchase it through that, that will be benefiting the Tux Digital channel as well. So anyway, link to that in the show notes. And also just a quick t- a quick information, if you are watching the stream live, I'm just going to give you a quick notice that Ballistic Overkill is available right now for the weekend at 50% off. And if you're not watching live, unfortunately, it might not still be available when this posts. It's possible if you, depending on when you watch the episode, like a couple hours or so. So maybe, hopefully, you will be able to get it. Uh, Ballistic Overkill is a game that we in the community play quite a bit. So if you'd like to, it's only like $6 right now. So, or... Maybe when I post it, I don't know. But in the future, if you'd like to keep up to date with things like that for like weekend sales and stuff like that, I post links to those um, on the Twitter and Mastodon account as well as like Telegram and etc. So if you'd like to, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash contact to find out you know how you can follow the channel on uh, Twitter and Mastodon, etc. And finally this week, The Culling, which is a Battle Royale game that has been around for quite a few years and actually like started in like 2016 before the craze started before you know PUBG before battle um Fortnite you know and um it's it's been uh, it's had some rough issues over the past couple of years or so and now they've actually announced that they've fixed a lot of these bugs and they've announced that the game will now be a free to play game so if you'd like to try it there's really no reason not to because it's free to play and there are going to be some like um they call it the coal crates which if you wanted to buy like uh cosmetic uh, upgrades to your guns and things like that you can you can do so but what's really interesting about this particular game is that it has a lot of variety of how the game is done in the sense that it's not just guns and you know shooting people there's also like there's swords there's crossbows there's even just regular bows and arrows and stuff like that even chainsaws so it's a really interesting approach to the the battle royale idea because not only is it like you know not just a regular here's a bunch of people on an island like the, the, you know the the regular way that battle royale games are being done it's doing it in a like a game show contestant type thing it's it's anyway it's interesting you would check out the link to gaming on linux dot uh, com's web uh, article about the game. You can find a, uh, there. There'll be have a, a a video that describes like the trailer video for there as well. So if you want to check it out, you can find the links to those in the show notes below. Thank you for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have multiple ways you can contribute via PayPal, Patreon, or even affiliate links by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for European shipping. If you'd like to see more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. Just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. 
The stream time is different each week, but you can find out what the time is for that week's show by going to TuxDigital.com slash ThisWeekInLinux. If you scroll down, you'll see the time zone converter to make, to make it easier to see what the time is in your area. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.